0: Hi, this is Steve Robinson. Welcome to the eighth in a series of podcasts from Sadie Records. This podcast is an album entitled Eclipse, and it features the chamber music of Misha Zubko. And we're delighted to have Misha here with us, along with one of the performers. Well, Misha's one. The other one is Me Lee Island.
1: Hi, okay. good morning.
0: And Wendy Warner on cello. This album contains seven pieces, and the composer, Misha, is going to say a word about each of the pieces and... As he's talking, we'll hear a little excerpt from each movement.
2: So Eclipse, the album, was a brainchild of Sangmi, Wendy, and myself. We were looking to put together a CD that contained some of my existing work as well as some pieces that I would write for them, and we really wanted this to be a concept album. So Eclipse was basically conceived around this notion of symmetries, it dealing with issues and their poles and their anti-poles. So the first piece, Rising, for Piano and Violin, is about spiritual ascension. It's filled with a kind of hopefulness that's depicted through these constant rising gestures in the piano and the violin. For cello and piano was conceived as a reaction to a poem by Federico Garcia Lorca called Suicide, and it focuses on a spiritual despair and a darkness of human longing. This was more or less a piece that I had written directly after Rising. It was interesting to me, first of all, that these pieces had followed one another, but also the way that they mirror each other in terms of one being for piano and violin, the other being for piano and cello, these virtuosic solo pieces with piano. Even in terms of their materials, there was a certain similarity in terms of harmonic content and approach, and even the length of these pieces was the same. But obviously, the spiritual directions of each of these pieces was so different. That begins the first pairing on the CD. The next three were the pieces that I was going to newly compose for Sangmi and Wendy. And these pieces all have a fascination with cosmology and philosophical understanding of reality now with our knowledge about physics and the universe and from Twilight for solo violin was composed specifically with Sangmi in mind. I had done much playing with Sangmi over the years, and one of the things that I always appreciated about her musicianship is that she always had something to teach me in terms of just insight into my own work. It was almost embarrassing at times because we would be rehearsing a piece of mine and she would point out something about phrasing or a choice that I made that suggested something and I wasn't at all playing it that way. That incredible insight into nuance and subtlety was something that informed my approach to From Twilight. So From Twilight is really a piece about the descent of night and the opening of the night sky. And so as day descends to night, the universe opens up to us in a way. So it begins with these little flecks of starlight and Slowly coming into this process are these other heavenly bodies or movements within the sky, and they happen very slowly and over an extended period of time, much like the processes in the other pieces, nebula and eclipse. But here we have three main elements entering the picture in varying degrees. That's really what informed the process for that piece. The fourth track, Eclipse, was the first piece that I approached of the newly composed pieces, and Eclipse is for violin and cello. And when I began this work, it really began as a somewhat abstract musical idea. I had this idea to take overlapping figures between the violin and the cello and then to slowly, over time, have these overlapping figures merge so that they would be playing simultaneously, and I had... Gone to great pains to graph this out in a spreadsheet as to how this would happen over time. So, when I first began the piece, I ran it by Sangmi, I kind of wanted to get her feedback on it. And it was really interesting what happened in that conversation because Sangmi had then likened this process to that of an eclipse. And With all of my music, I always try to find something about it that gives me an extra musical reference, not because I start from there, but because it gives me inspiration moving forward. It really helps me to envision the world in which this sound lives. And so it not only informed this particular piece, but it also informed all of the pieces that were going to be programmed on the CD Starting with this idea that the pieces would be a balance of symmetries on particular ideas, I just had this image of things coming from opposite sides of the spectrum and merging into one idea or diverging into two ideas. And so that was the catalyst for the programming and the theming of this entire CD. next one was Nebula for Solo Cello. This was an incredibly virtuosic work for Wendy. i gotten to know Wendy's playing, obviously from hearing her many times, but also getting to know her personally on a tour that we shared with Camarada Chicago. And just had this idea of this piece that was essentially a nebula, a gas cloud that was rotating because of a gravitational pull and, and being pulled into this gravitational center, spinning wildly into something that was dynamically virtuosic and just spinning out of control was something that really excited me in reference to seeing how far I could take Wendy in that virtuosic sphere. two pieces, Shades of Grey and Love Obsession, are another pair. They look at relationships and love in two wildly different perspectives. Shades of Grey for violin and piano was written for Winston Choi and Ming-Wan Shu, on the occasion of their wedding. And so I was really looking at this as the line of delineation between two people and how do these two people merge and come together? How do they separate when they need to separate? And all of that gray area that comes within a finely tuned relationship that is devoted to itself. So this is really about the kind of long-term vision of love and relationship. And within this piece, there are four movements which discuss or more or less illustrate different types of relationships. Shadows is the relationship between a body and its shadow. Waves is the relationship of all the currents under the sea that contribute to what we see flowing in on the shore. Ice is this crystallization process, the relationship of temperature to water and how that transforms things. And then trigger is ultimately the idea of, for every action, there is a reaction. Shades of Grey. looks at the subtleties of relationships, whereas Love Obsession, it's just hard passion. It's the essence of attraction. It's the primal feelings that come with love. And Love Obsession is written for six electronic cello tracks that are pre-recorded, and then a track that goes on top of that, which consists of cello and piano. (laughs) ¶¶
0: The pieces suggest your fascination with cosmology and physics, Mm -hmm. as do the notes to the album. Explain a little bit why this is important to you or Mm -hmm. how that's a wellspring of discovery for you as a composer.
2: Sure. From my earliest memories, I was always fascinated with space and the universe. My first profession of choice was to be an astronaut, and I'm sure I share that with half the population who was born in the 70s, and we were just coming after the moon landing. But there was something about the surreal experience of being outside of our normal environs that really appealed to me as a child and has continued to appeal to me as an adult. I'm somebody who likes to think outside of my reality, or at least my tangible reality. So I think that's really where it begins, and I had ignored that side of myself for a very long time. All the things that we get involved with and in growing up and coming of age and our careers and but at one point I just for some reason or another I can't even remember why I picked up Stephen Hawking's book, and it answers a lot of questions for me too. Questions that I've had even in terms of existential types of questions. I've long worked for the church and. I take all of the teachings of the church to heart to a certain extent, but then I have to take certain ones of them with a grain of salt because I can't have a tangible association with some of the stories that are related biblically. But studying cosmology and studying physics is something that expands my perception of reality that allows me to have faith.
0: A piece like Nebula, the title notwithstanding, the sound of it, It almost sounds like there's reverb going on in it, Uh, but there isn't. (laughs) Right. It's just the cello sounding that way, and to me it's one piece that connects to this notion of timelessness and Mm. expansiveness.
2: I'm delighted that that's the way you feel. And in fact, you picked up on something that I was going to enhance even more, this idea that there was this natural reverberation inherent in the types of oscillating sounds that I was hearing, I was actually looking at doing some post-production processing of those sounds and actually including some echo effects that would filter into the empty spaces in between the gestures. The more we played with that, the more we realized that the music already did that. I was hearing something on top of something, and yet it was already there all along. Really, what we were doing was just refining some of the fades into nothingness. And it took me a long time to come upon that idea, too. You sometimes the simplest ideas are the hardest to find, the ones that are right under your nose.
0: (laughs) I have a question that I've always wanted to ask a composer, but never have. If you had to pick one word to describe what music is, I would pick emotion. It's about emotion, Mm -hmm. no matter almost what the music is. It's about emotion. So as a layman, when I listen to any piece of music, great piece of music, uh, including the music on this album... It engenders all kinds of deep kind of emotions. I mean, you get all worked up right. listening to the piece yeah. as a listener. You get worked up yeah. emotionally. When you're writing it, what are the emotions like? Because you're writing it over a long period of time, presumably. It yeah. could be a day. It right. be, could be six months. Right. What are you feeling as you're writing it? Well,
2: half the time I feel like blowing my brains out. But um, <laughs> that's just simply because sometimes, you know, birthing an idea is painful. And it isn't for everybody. For some people, it's a very playful thing, and at times, it is for me, too. There are certainly times where trying to find that idea or trying to find how that idea develops is an incredibly painful birthing-like process. When you find what you're looking for, it's elation. Even when I just figured out that I just wanted this oscillating fifth turning into an oscillating sixth, which seems like the dumbest thing in the world, It was the timing of it, it's how it starts, it's how it launches the piece. When I found that and it became the core that informed everything that was happening after it, it's like a process of crystallization where the idea engenders so many other ideas that you have this almost euphoric reaction to that as you start to feel these things fall into place. So I would say that the emotion of writing a piece are very mixed engendered with all sorts of pain and frustration and agony, but hopefully you don't hear those parts because we throw them out. <laughs> Either that or it's supposed to be part of the piece. When I get to the place where I know that the piece has to rest, then it's whatever that emotion is that yeah I'm trying to portray. I mean, sometimes it's sadness. I've written pieces that are incredibly sad that, yeah, I've actually cried when writing a piece of music.
0: We're sitting with Misha Zubko, and we're discussing his album, Eclipse. It's chamber music by Misha Zubko. It's music for piano, Misha at the keyboard, Wendy Warner cello, and Sangmi Lee violin. Sangmi is with us, along with Misha. Sangmi, tell us a bit about your background and how you came to this project.
1: Misha and I have actually played together for a little while. I believe the first piece that I ever played of his was his harpsichord concerto with string quartet. And... It was fiendishly, it is fiendishly difficult. Those pieces always stick out in my mind, and I did meet him briefly after the performance, and time went on, I played other pieces. We actually did Rising a couple of times in other performance situations, and we became friends over time. At some point, I just looked at him and said, I love your music, but why is there not a recording, a compilation of your stuff? I also heard his Chamber Symphony, that's a wonderful piece as well, and I've just really genuinely loved his music over time. So we had discussions, we had rehearsals, I played other pieces of his, and the whole idea of Eclipse came together. Wendy is a good friend from back in the day when we were students at Music Center of the North Shore, which is now a music institute of Chicago. Misha was also a student there. And so we have a lot of connections that go back quite a few years. Now that this is all done and it's all come together, it's really been a labor of love and with friends, which is really the best way to come together on something. It has at times been... A lot of work, of course, and a lot of effort and a lot of rehearsal and collaboration, but it's been so gratifying.
3: I want to note that this is actually Song Me and Wendy's second recording together for Sadie.
0: That's Jim Ginsburg, president of Sadie Records.
1: Right. Our first recording was the Beethoven Project Trio, and that was with pianist George Lapoe. Wendy and I actually, back when we were students, played together in a string quartet with another Sadie artist, Rachel Barton Pine, and another friend of ours who is not in music anymore, but still loves violin and still loves music. You know, the friendships that start from when you're kids in a room with chamber music are some of the most long-lasting and treasured relationships, so it has endured.
0: Tell me a bit about yourself, where you were born and where you studied.
1: I was born in Evanston, which is just north of Chicago. I grew up on the north shore of Chicago in Highland Park, where... Some of you may know from Ravinia, which is where CSO plays often in the summer. I really grew up here in Chicago and then went to New York for school, to the Juilliard School, and stayed out east for a bit. And I've always had family here, so I came back at some point to my roots. There's just a lot of really good music happening here in Chicago, both on the performing front, the composing front, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to be a part of it, and it's been very, very fun.
0: Misha, tell us a bit about yourself, where you were born and where you I, studied. I was actually born
2: here in Chicago. My father is a composer, and he was teaching at Roosevelt University at the time. But six weeks after I was born, I was whisked off to the country lands of Kalamazoo, Michigan, where my dad got a position at Western Michigan University much to my dismay later I found out because I was not a country boy I was a city boy but we still had family who remained in Chicago and I would visit often I grew up in a musical household my father is a composer a pianist and my mother is a dancer and for those of you who are saying dancers aren't musical you're absolutely wrong they are incredibly musical they can count to 8 <laughs> I grew up with music as my environment it was the way that we all expressed ourselves it was always in the background I both love and loathe that fact because in some ways, it's almost too real all the time as a part of my makeup and my fabric. Sometimes I would like it to be that thing I go to, that special thing that I go to that's not just a part of who I am. It certainly did have its benefits being able to study with a composer from age three. I really didn't find composing, though, until later in life. I'd done some when I was a kid, forcibly, it wasn't until after i graduated from northwestern university where i studied with emilio del rosario and david kaiserman studied piano with them there was doing fine as a pianist and i was finding ways to work and but something didn't feel completely fulfilling completely satisfying about that for me about a year after i graduated I went on a wonderful backpacking trip with my friend Aaron and we went around Europe visiting grave sites of our beloved masters and seeing the artwork that was accompanying that time. Just going to Beethoven's apartment, for God's sake, it was just how could we be in the same room that he once was. And we were humming our own tunes around Europe and feeling like composers. And when I got back, I thought, hmm. I wonder if I should try something like this. And my first couple tries at it sounded like pieces I was practicing, but I finally came about something and I was having a lot of fun with it. And I played it for my friend Aaron, whom I shared this trip with, and he said, wow, you should be a composer. I thought, that's odd. That's what my father does. Why would I do that? It took about a year of just exploring this. And then one day on a solo sailing trip, I joined the Northwestern Alumni Sailing Club. I was out about a mile offshore. I said, you know what? This is what I have to do. It was one of those crystallization moments where it's, I've got to pursue this. And oddly enough, my musical hero at the time, John Corigliano, directed me toward Indiana University. And that's where I got my master's degree and my doctoral degree. And so my formal tutelage after my father began and where I discovered all the different places that I could go with this.
3: Of course, the other performer on this album is cellist Wendy Warner, who's been a CD artist for a long time, actually. Her first album was with her former string quartet mate, violinist Rachel Barden-Pine, back in 1999. And this is now her sixth recording for CD. Wendy is really an international star, having burst on the scene as a protege of the great cellist, Mrs. La Rostropovich. In fact, she won the first Rostropovich competition in Paris in 1990. And she is Chicago born and bred, so it's really wonderful to have her on the label in so many different recordings, including now this one. Up till now, Wendy's recordings have tended to be music from earlier eras. This is her first CD recording of brand new music.
0: Song Miu, how would you characterize Misha's music and what's your approach to it? You've already said it's not easy music. What's your approach to tackling some of these pieces?
1: So, Rising, we'd already played together at least a couple of times before the idea of the disc even came up. And Shades of Grey was written before. The other pieces, Twilight and Eclipse, came into being as we were putting all of this together. And I would say that I probably approached the pieces differently. Rising was already written, so when I approach a piece like that, I oftentimes talk to the composer first about the concept behind it, what was the inspiration of it, what were the circumstances surrounding the birth of the piece, and for Rising and for Shades of Grey, those were different circumstances, so I tried to the best of my ability to take those into account as I approach them technically on the violin. Twilight and Eclipse are a little different because I think the concept existed first Mm. before the notes and certainly before I tackled them. And it was with this disc specifically in mind, I would say for the solo pieces from Twilight and Eclipse, there was already a connection between the two pieces and a connection from those pieces to the other pieces on the disc before I even started practicing them unlike Rising and Shades of Grey, which really existed before. How do I approach them? (laughs) With great care. (laughs) They're really hard. They're really, really hard. And Misha knows that I love his music, but he rarely writes anything that is actually easy for the instrument. I won't speak for the cello pieces, but I know for the violin parts, they're very challenging and it really requires that a player not only is very nimble and virtuosic on his or her own instrument but can really somehow keep in mind conceptually what misha is intending behind the music because it would be easy to get lost in the notes because they are so hard Mm. that's like with any great music some of the most difficult music out there is the most gratifying and so There's a lot of technical work that goes into it. The concept is and needs to always be there to inform what you do with all those notes.
0: Have you ever given Misha any suggestions or advice as in, Misha, this doesn't work, this is impossible?
1: One of the reasons that I love working with live composers is because you can have those discussions and conversations. And Misha oftentimes comes to me with a snippet of something before it's even completely down in the movement, asking, what will this sound like? Is this plausible? How difficult is this? That kind of thing. And then I'll give him my comments just from a purely playing standpoint. And he'll run with that and do something else with it, depending on what he has in mind for the concept of that piece. I haven't yet, but at some point I might call him up and say, hey, use some open strings. Can I have a piece with open strings, please?
0: That was an excerpt from Rising, the first selection on this album, Eclipse. That's for violin and piano, and the violinist is Sangmi Lee, and the pianist is the composer Misha Zupko. Also on the album is Wendy Warnicello. The president of Sadie Records and the producer of this album is Jim Ginsburg. Jim, what attracted you to these pieces? And let me also add that for myself, Misha has quite a distinct voice. I was trying to think, who does this sound like? But it doesn't sound like anybody but Misha, apparently.
3: Like Song Me, I had heard a number of Misha's works, including the chamber orchestra piece she mentioned and the harpsichord concerto, and I was really bowled over by the originality of the writing. There's a certain amount of trust that goes into this because so many of the works were written for this album. Obviously, I had a chance to hear the ones that had been written before, like Shades of Grey, and loved it. But with some composers, there's a certain trepidation about agreeing to do an album of music that hasn't actually been written, but I was so convinced by what i had heard of misha's and how unique it was that i had no worries that this would all fall together and i think the results speak for themselves and while there's a great variety on the album at the same time there really is a voice that carries through certainly the virtuosity of the writing is one aspect that you hear in so many of the pieces although the one exception i would say the simplest uh, if i can use that term piece on the album is actually the title piece uh, eclipse And I'd love to hear from you a little bit more about how you came to write that piece so differently from pretty much everything else on the album.
2: Well, it might be because you gave me two weeks to write it. (laughs) No, in actuality, you probably gave me three months. I knew, though, that the summer was going to go quickly and that if I was going to finish this for the benefit, that I would have about two weeks to do this.
3: I should mention, long before we recorded for the album, this piece was actually premiered at Sadie Records' annual gala, in September of 2014.
2: So when you say that it's potentially the simplest piece on the album, maybe in terms of a listening standpoint, it is. There's not the super high on the string, super fast playing in that piece that tends to (laughs) happen in the other pieces. The more obvious of the technical difficulties, you're absolutely right. It is very difficult in terms of intonation, though, in terms of the ways in which the parts are crossing. And it's not that I ever strive to make things difficult. In fact, when I'm writing these things, I'm always trying to think about the most practical way to get the result that I want. But sometimes there is no practical way. And even listening to the Grossefuge last night with the Dover Quartet, I was struck by the fact that this music would not be possible unless it was insanely difficult. I was speaking to one of the artists about it and saying that this was a piece that Beethoven almost imagined in quantum worlds, almost as if this music was happening in different times and spaces and somehow they were converging on this one space and time. When you hear all of those different motifs floating around and happening simultaneously and somehow they work but there's still this separation of idea between them that is so tangible yeah, it's insanely difficult to put together not only from a figurative standpoint, just being able to get around those notes, but also from the standpoint of being able to conceptualize that as an individual member of a quartet. How does my part work with that other part? And I find that even in Eclipse, there is that particular difficulty of how do I get these two parts to mesh and intermingle effortlessly and at the same time predict where my partner is going to be tuning that particular note and in dealing with these unusual situations. But I think in terms of just the aesthetic, I just was something that came to me. I think you'll find that all three of these pieces that occupy the center of the disk from Twilight, Eclipse, and Nebula, they all come from a very similar place, which is a much more spacious place, a much more expansive place. And I can only attribute that to this re-emerging fascination with infinite space and time. And...
3: song me for you, can you talk about the difference in the difficulty of, say, the really fast high-riding that we heard at the end of Rising right. versus the tuning issues and the timing issues that Misha alluded to in Eclipse.
1: Right. It's funny to hear you say that Eclipse is the simplest of all the pieces on the disc because if I didn't know Misha's music before and was seeing Eclipse for the first time, not knowing the composer, I might make the same... Mistake of thinking that it was <laughs> simple. But I know Misha and his music, and I thought, hmm, okay, what is this? And so we look closer, and it's actually a completely different difficulty. The difficulty in rising, the difficulty at the end of waves, for example, the virtuosity actually is everywhere in Shades of Grey, as well as Wendy's other pieces. It's so very particular, the difficulty, because there are so few notes, there's so much silence that. There are fewer notes to do something with, if that makes sense. We're also oftentimes finishing and starting each other's sentences, so to speak, between violin and cello. I really honestly think that Misha has an amazing instinct for the people that he's writing for. Of course, he knew us before he wrote From Twilight, Nebula, and Eclipse. It's a very intimate relationship to be able to play that piece with somebody, because there's so few notes, you have to know each other so well, each other's gestures, each other's lines in the most subtle way. I think that Misha sort of observed our friendship between Wendy and myself and realized what he could do with it. And then he did it, <laughs> and then we had to learn it, and then we had to play it. I kind of liken it, if it's okay to say, like Mozart, because it's not an obvious, difficulty but it's really quite difficult to get it just right.
2: I'm okay with that. So, yeah <laughs> yeah. I know composers okay. compared to Mozart. Yeah. <laughs> yes
1: yes yeah. We love it and we love that he wrote it with us in mind. It's important that a composer has a palette and has a voice at the same time. He can do something like love obsession which is entirely unique and different and then something A little more, if I can say, traditional for violin and piano in rising and then have a completely different approach for solo instruments in the the middle three pieces of the disc.
0: Well, let's hear now this composition Eclipse for violin and cello. We'll hear it in its entirety. That was a performance of Eclipse by Misha Zubko. It's a piece for a violin and cello. It's also the title of this album on CD Records, Chamber Music by Misha Zubko. It was performed by Sangmi Lee Violin and Wendy Warner, cello. Misha, your music in some ways pushes the boundaries of traditional forms of chamber music. In other ways, particularly your tonal language is actually fairly traditional. I wouldn't describe your music as necessarily quote-unquote avant-garde or atonal, but you certainly are pushing a lot of emotional boundaries.
2: Mm. I like that. I like that statement. Because I think we can often get caught up in pushing the boundaries of music as a generic term. What is it to push the boundaries of music these days? I think there was certainly a revolutionary time in history when we were redefining what musical content could be, what could be manipulated, what different guises form could take on. And we're all kind of stuck at our particular place in history, and it's sometimes difficult to see beyond that. What are other possibilities for form and content? But personally, I've never viewed my musical contributions in terms of how can I reinvent the wheel? I'm just not that type of person. And I also believe in some ways we visited the extremes. We've had Cage, who categorizes everything, including silence, as a viable means of content and expression. We've looked at sound as a completely abstract resource, apart and devoid from pitch and rhythm. Having gone to those extremes, I find that unique expressions come really from an individual, and I don't see myself as pushing the boundaries of chamber music as much as I see pushing the boundaries of myself to realize sounds that invite some kind of response. Sounds that will attract somebody, make their ears perk up because they haven't heard it quite said in that particular way before. I would say my motto as a composer is to be as truthful to what I'm reacting to, to what I'm hearing as possible and try not to paste on any self-conscious isms or needs to change the world with any given piece of music. What I'm looking to do is find that spark of creativity that energizes me, and then once I find that spark of creativity, then how does it engage who is ultimately going to be listening to this? So in a piece like Trigger, for instance, which is the last movement of Shades of Grey for violin and piano, I started that piece off in a rather perfunctory way. I had a four-note idea that could very well have been the four notes from the Fifth Symphony. In fact, it's the same rhythm. Well, actually, it's five. It has that similar kind of profile, but I had imagined the sound with the damped strings in the piano. And then as I was hearing this piece in my head, that sound kept transforming. And it was kind of the idea behind trigger, this action reaction. You hear a sound and then how do you react to that sound? And sometimes when I'm composing, I hear sounds that are not actually the instruments that I'm composing for. Sometimes I hear noise. Sometimes I hear artifacts, the sound of the bow scraping across the string rather than the actual pitch that comes out of that. And so in this piece, I kind of let myself go and explore that territory that were the sounds that never get cataloged on the page. It yielded some very interesting results for myself. Not to say that that thing hasn't been done before. Of course it has. You know, Loch and has pretty much covered the gamut of sounds that enter the sphere of a more traditionally composed composition. But it was something that Mixed in with my style of writing was something that was very different from an expression that Lachenmann would make with the same types of gestures and sounds.
3: Speaking of unusual sounds, probably the most quote-unquote unusual piece on the disc is the last one, Love Obsession, with its six pre-recorded electronic cello tracks. Can you explain both how it works and how you came to this idea?
2: Sure. Jeffrey Ziegler, who is the former cellist with the Kronos Quartet, is an old friend of mine, and he was going to be performing on a festival that I was helping to curate, the Beethoven Festival, and he wanted to do specifically a piece of mine that I would write for him, and so he more or less commissioned this piece for me. He said it could be anything. He said it could be a solo cello piece. It could be a piece for the two of us to play. It could be a piece that incorporates electronics. And electronics was something that I hadn't used in ages. And somehow I was excited by the idea of using electronics at this stage of the game. Well, I went through probably three or four months of just experimenting with stuff and not coming up with anything I particularly liked. And it just was kind of incongruous with the type of things that I was writing and the types of things that I was excited about. Then one day when I was going to pick up my son from school, and this is when it always happens, right? When you're not in front of your page, I heard this snippet, this eight note arpeggiation of some chord and got out my iPhone and opened up my notes and I just dictated the notes that I was hearing and I started to hear all of these inherent possibilities of this and I heard it refracting in all of these different ways and I thought... First of all, I would love to play with Jeffrey. And I was hearing these particular sounds with these snap pizzicatos and these piano sounds. And I thought, the way that I'm hearing this refract, this could be an electronic piece where the cello part just refracts into a bunch of little pieces. And this happened probably in four minutes. It takes about that long for me to get to where my son's school used to be on uh, Irving Park. And I had then conceived of this notion that these eight notes that I was hearing could be the entire piece. Well, with electronics, that is certainly doable. Now, of course, there were more than eight notes. What I was thinking was in terms of creating the electronic tracks for this, I could do this in a way that could be incredibly efficient and serve an idea at the heart of it, which was that you take these eight notes in every possible imaginable subset of those eight notes, then you can transpose them and keep doing the same process, and then order them in such a way that could create this very obsessive piece of music that could be reprinted in six different tracks. The idea and the process kind of came together in those moments. That's when the genesis of the piece really began and then I had the great fortune of being able to do some post-production with Sadie's engineer Bill Malone to really create the soundscape that I had always imagined for this piece which was that it was a rock and roll piece. I had always imagined that these cellos would be distorted in some way and went back and forth with Bill about different things that we could do, and Bill would send me these distortion samples online, and I'd listen to them, and then we found some of our favorite ones, and then he had the brilliant idea of handing different amounts of distortion in the various tracks, and so as you get toward the center of the listening field, you have less distortion, and as you get toward the outer ends, you have more distortion, and that allowed the solo tracks, which were really in the center position, to be in sharp relief. And it was a brilliant engineering solution to something that I was always worried about. Would the distorted tracks overcome the solo tracks or how would we distinguish between those? And it was interesting to find that the non-distorted tracks actually were the ones that had more punch in the foreground rather than the opposite, which you would expect, because think of these blaring electric guitars as being impossible to get away from it had the exact opposite effect of just having something in sharp relief to those sounds really made it stand out. And we kind of know that acoustically, even when we're orchestrating, but to do this in a kind of processing environment was a great lesson and a great joy to work out in the studio.
0: Well, let's hear an excerpt now from Love Obsession for cello, piano, and six pre-recorded electronic cello tracks. The cellist is Wendy Warner, the pianist is the composer, Misha Zupko, and it's the last composition on this album entitled Eclipse, chamber music by Misha Zupko on Sadie Records. Question for either Misha or Sungmi: What, to you, is special <coughs> about the music scene here in Chicago?
1: Having been born and having grown up in Chicago, in a way, I'm very used to the whole scene here. It feels very familiar and it feels like home. But having spent some time on the East Coast and coming back, I really think that what happens here in Chicago is very special for a lot of reasons: the camaraderie, the support the wonderful feeling amongst performers that live here, the new music scene I love as well. Misha has been here for a long time, but other composers too that offer so much. And it's exciting to be a part of that whole fabric and of the output that comes from the collaborations between the composers and the performers on a regular basis. And it's been very exciting to participate.
2: I feel very similarly. I didn't grow up in this environment, but certainly when I came to it, there's something about Chicago, the neighborhood feel that we all know and that keeps us all here. It's a big city with a neighborhood feeling. That camaraderie that Sangmi talks about is really, I think, born from the feel of this city, which is about neighbors, getting together with neighbors, whether it's in a social Environment or whether it's to accomplish some goal or some task for the community. I believe that exists here in Spades in Chicago. In some ways, there is also that inherent problem with Chicago of segregation. Certain streets are devoted to certain ethnic backgrounds, and we tend to have a lot of racial tensions here. And I think the worst nature of our city is to keep those boundaries there. But the artistic community has always been one that's challenged. Those boundaries and looked for ways in which we intermingle as a city, as the people in a city, and tried to dispel these notions of there being boundaries between one another. And that's a really exciting challenge that I think the art scene here in Chicago has really addressed to a large extent, and why we have such a multitude of styles and a hybrid amalgamation of those styles here present among our composers and performers.
0: me, what's next for you in your career? What aspirations do you have? What conquests do you still have left to make?
1: I guess this is as good a place as any to announce the next step in collaboration. Misha is writing a violin concerto for me, and I am really, really excited about it. I think only part of it has been written so far. I've seen and heard a little bit of it. I cannot wait for the premiere. I believe we're going to be doing it at Indiana University, which is where Misha studied composition. And they have a wonderful new music group there that has agreed to take on what I'm sure is not going to be an easy work. But I'm really okay with that because the artistic process and usually the result we feel very, very good about. And I'm always excited to play Misha's music.
0: How big will the orchestra be?
2: It's a one and a part orchestra, so you'll have five strings, four woodwinds, and three brass, a couple percussionists, piano harp. I didn't count it up exactly. It was somewhere between 15 and 17 players, and then song me playing the solo violin part. That's been an exciting thing that's been on my plate for quite some time. This is one of those pieces that hasn't come easy for me. So that's something that is very much on my plate right now that I'm looking forward to, and in addition to that, One of the things that I'm working on in an extra musical way is a project where I'm taking the title track of this CD and we are doing a video, a burlesque video with the very famous international burlesque star, Michelle L'Amour. And we just shot the film this past week and we're in post-production now with that. And it's an incredibly unique collaboration. And the reason I feel so good about it is because it's a very new endeavor but it's something that came from a very organic place. Michelle, her husband and co-producer Frankie Vivid and myself met under other circumstances, and we have been working together in those other circumstances for about two years now and really have been kind of discovering each other artistically over that period of time. And It was a project that really became a crystallization again of idea and content.
1: For me personally, it's been very exciting to see a piece that Misha has written for cello and violin in an acoustic sense, an abstract sense, existed on its own, and to see it go on into new life, inspiring this dance, choreography, and this video, because while it may not have been conceived originally with a fusion of art forms in mind, it's engendering that kind of collaboration, and it's exciting to see What we have done here is now moving on into a new phase of its life.
2: Ultimately, what it does is it exposes the depth of the content to an even higher degree in a way, because Michelle is truly an artist, as is her husband Frankie, and I think they resonated with this music and they understood from where it came and are expressing that in a visual way that is just so aptly beautiful and can help bring people into that frame of mind in an even deeper way. It's like being brought into a deeper trance. The last thing that I was going to mention in terms of things that I've been pursuing and will continue to pursue probably for some time after this is a musical that I am working on with singer-entrepreneur Genevieve Thiers, who is... Not only a brilliant soprano who has been on the stage with Renee Fleming at the Lyric, but is also a female entrepreneur who founded SitterCity.com and is one of the founders of 1871 at Marketplace. She's just a brilliant woman who had this brilliant idea to compose a musical on the Everly sisters who were two notorious madams at the turn of the century who changed the game of vice here in the Chicago Levy District between 1900 and 1911 by erecting the famous Everly Club. This is a story that some Chicagoans are familiar with. There was a book that came out about it called Sin in the Second City. It's just a fascinating period of time, and these women were so ahead of their time in terms of dealing with the idea of sex and sensuality and female empowerment, and it's just been one of these projects that has been so exciting to discover new platitudes uh, in the realm of theater and in the realm of feminism and just the ways in which my music can continually be of use in fostering a more enlightened culture.
0: Well, it sounds like you both have very exciting projects in the future. Wish you well with those. Thank you. Uh, We just heard from Misha Zupko, composer, and this album on CD Records we've been talking about is called Eclipse. It features Wendy Warner cello. Uh, Misha Zubko composed all the music. He's also at the keyboard. And our other guest, me Lee, violin, has been with us this afternoon. Also joining us has been Jim Ginsberg, the president of CD. Jim, any uh, closing thoughts, words, or suggestions?
3: Well, as a label devoted to Chicago music, it's particularly gratifying to put out an album where not only are all the performers Chicago performers, but the composer, Misha, is also a Chicago composer. And this is something that has become over time, a greater and greater focus of the label, working with Chicago composers, and it's really wonderful to add such a unique and special voice to our label.
0: Should anyone wish to purchase this album, you can do it by going to their website. That's cdrecords.org, and that's C-E-D-I-L-L-E, org. Thanks for listening.
3: Sadie Records is a nonprofit recording label Dedicated to producing classical recordings of the highest quality, featuring outstanding musicians from Chicago. Sales of CDs and downloads cover less than 20% of our expenses, so we rely on your charitable contributions to fulfill our mission. Please visit Saderecords.org, that's C-E-D-I-L-L-E-Records.org for more information on how you can support Chicago artists through Sadie.